Hi everyone, Jacqueline Foster here. I just wanted to preface this uh, podcast episode by letting you know what you're about to listen to was an hour-long webinar we hosted over on LinkedIn. So if you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, go ahead and do that. Just type in Jacqueline Foster or I'll link it up in the show notes. Obviously, you can just grab it there. Um, We are hosting these webinars more frequently. So if you'd like to try to attend the live event, um, follow me on LinkedIn so you can be sure to sign up for these events. And also want to mention too, the Paralegal Mastery Lounge is open for enrollment. So make sure you head over to paralegalmasterylounge.com and sign up for our monthly membership. I hope you enjoy today's episode. And as always, let me know if you have any questions or any topics you'd like me to cover on future episodes. I get a ton of questions all the time about where to start. Um, And it's not easy enough for me to just say, like, start here, because there's so many things that go into the start here moment that I want to run through. And I'm actually pulling from the entire sequence of my prior freelance paralegal accelerator course, as well as um, things that I am publishing in the paralegal mastery lounge going forward now with the new membership as we no longer have the freelance paralegal accelerator course available. So I'm going to run through basically start to finish on that entire course within this hour. So if you're here, say hi at any moment in time please let me know any questions that come up. I'm going to try to stay on topic as I go through and not bounce to the questions because I am really good at going down rabbit holes. Um, (laughs) But those questions are definitely going to be answered, whether in the moment or if it's a different topic later at the end. I'm going to save some time for the Q&A. So please, please start asking your questions right away. I see we have about 10 people in here right now. So again, say hi, where you're watching from. I am in Wisconsin. We're having a cooler week than last week, so but still very nice. And it's a nice little break from the heat. Funny enough, I just got my AC in today and now we won't be using it. <laughs> so anyway, my name is Jacqueline Foster. I am the founder of Trust Legal Recruiting and Staffing. We started in early 2020 as Jacqueline Foster Paralegal Group, LLC. Prior to that, I was a subcontractor for law firms all over the country from 2018 until 2020 when I started my own business. Um, prior to that, I was an infirm paralegal. I did general practice, criminal, civil, family, probate, safe, you name it, I did it. I was the jack of all trades, master of none type of paralegal. Um, so my journey was really unique in that when I started freelancing, it wasn't as big of a hype at the time. I mean, people were interested in it, but law firms weren't open so much to remote back in 2018. The pandemic really pushed law firms into opening up their thought processes in in the cost savings it can have to have people remotely. And then on top of it, uh, the pandemic really pushed law firms with the furloughs and having to lay people off and, and just the whole economy crashing essentially forced them to be a little bit more creative in their staffing. And now that staffing creativity is starting to continue to evolve into even further uh, further stretches of the imagination in utilizing freelance paralegal services uh, to not only save time, but to have better flexibility with their support staff, and then also um, to access better quality uh, talent, to access higher talent out there. Um, hi, Danielle. Hi, Mary from Arizona. Um, I'm actually hiring a, a contractor out in Arizona right now, Mary, if you're in personal injury. Um, that being said, so let's, uh, so when I started my business in 2020, we were able to get three clients within the first couple of months. It was awesome. It was just me uh, giving my services. And then as I continued to get clients, I made some really good strategic alliances and connections that started referring me a lot more business. My LinkedIn presence was was improving and we went to, I want to say the six to 10, 10 client range by that summer. So March to summer, end of summer, we were in that, that range and I was able to back away from my, um, from my subcontracting. Um, hi Stephanie. Hi Catherine. I'm actually really excited that I can see your guys' names. I just had a moment cause I can't on Facebook. Hi Bridget. Um, so that being said, as uh, I started to bring in more clients, I quickly realized 
that I wanted to build something beyond myself, beyond just my 30 to 40 hours a week that I would work for my clients. So I started bringing in other subcontractors for help, um, especially with my estate planning clients as that isn't really my specialty and I needed that extra help. Hi, Stephanie. Um, and as I did that, I, I it was messy at the time because we were trying to merge from me being a solo freelancer, all my clients used to working with me to bringing in my team. I also brought in a personal injury paralegal. Um, and then realized in that moment, in that fall, that I wanted to operate more of an agency um, type of model. So I ended up starting to, as I signed new clients, I hired subcontractors and placed them directly with my clients uh, to operate under kind of my umbrella of my LLC. Um, so, and the reason I like talking about that, that story is because the first thing I'm going to talk about in how to start a freelance paralegal business is around business establishment goals and how you're going to structure your business model around those things. Um, my qualifications come from our very successful company. We are now a full service legal recruiting um, as well as the 1099 staffing. And then I just started my second company, the Paralegal Mastery Lounge, and we are in our third year and we have finally reached our half a million dollar revenue mark in 2022. So that is not for me to brag. I only talk about money primarily to give people the inspiration, the, the proof, the social proof of, hey, this is a possibility. It works. It will happen. I had no background in business. I had no like extra knowledge on how to market. None. Actually, I'm still not a great marketer. Um, I did not pay for advertising. I had no money in my bank account to start and it quickly changed my husband and, and my life. So just want to preface the whole uh, webinar today around that uh, so that you know everything I'm saying today is definitely possible. So take notes and, and really... Uh, and even if you're not fully committed, even if you're not jumping in right now, commit to starting. Um, I promise you, you will you will thank yourself for that. Hey, Adrian. Uh, hi, Crystal. <clears throat> okay, so let's start talking about business establishment. Now, we have the entire course on business establishment in the Paralegal Mastery Lounge already because it is so important to start here, obviously. I mean, this goes beyond, and I'll touch on the naming your business, the insurance, the LLC, but... When I'm talking about business establishment, structuring your business model. So there's about three different models you can go down in my book. They all have their pros and cons, uh, but these are sort of the three, the three business models you can start with. And I really want you to try your hardest to set your long-term goals now so that you're starting your business model off from day one. I went from solo to team to agency and it was I was in tears so many times trying to restructure the business, trying to change my prices to allow for more profit margin uh, for the company and and trying to get my clients, you know, transitioned over was really messy. So we can either start a solo paralegal business. A lot of people naturally do that um, if they're just trying their hand at freelancing because it's like, well, I don't really want to jump into hiring subcontractors yet. I just want to see if I can even get clients. That was me. Um, I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world. You can definitely grow and adjust as you move on. But if you think long term, you'd like to have a team model wherein paralegals are kind of behind the scenes, busting out documents. Um, you have a client facing person in front of your attorney and you work and operate as that team. I would start by starting with that team model. Even if you don't have a team behind you yet, let your clients perceive you do um, so that nothing changes once once you start br get bringing in more business and needing to bring in more subcontractors. The other model is the agency model, which is what Dell Trust actually is, is where we hire uh, our clients hire us to place them with a paralegal of our recommendation within the company. So we are the middleman. We do gain a profit margin off of each hour worked by our paralegals. We handle all the administrative work. We handle all the client acquisition work, the client services, relationships, maintenance, all of the above. Um, and basically our paralegals just have to do their work, record time, and then they get paid. Um, so that's the agency model. Now, when you're thinking about long-term, how you'd like it to look for you, 
Decide what you're really passionate about. Are you truly passionate about paralegal work? Does it make you tick? Do you get up every morning and want to dive into a case or a matter or an estate plan or something of that nature? Or does the idea of operating other paralegals and managing other paralegals and working face-to-face with your client and focusing on client acquisition and getting yourself out there on social media and marketing uh, your company sound a little bit more fun for you? On the agency side, take that times a thousand, a little less management as my paralegals and my attorneys together are self-managed. They they work that. However, we do have to, you know, obviously come in if there's issues, if there's things that need to be hashed out around time and availability. So in the agency model, you're going to deal with a little bit more of that type of stuff about client complaints, client concerns. Um all of those things and of course the billing gets a little bit more hectic and and etc so when you're thinking about long term think about what you would really love to get up and do every single morning um and so as you as you think of those things and you decide what business model you're going to want to go down it's going to make it a lot more seamless to go through the rest of the steps on getting that first client on identifying your ideal client Um, i do see that i have a question how do you get your clients to start i'm definitely going to talk about that in about I don't know, three sections here, um, getting that first client. So when you're going to pick your name, this is where too, like deciding that business model, I started out as Jacqueline Foster Paralegal Services LLC because I never really thought that I would be successful enough to bring in paralegals to work in my company. Um, I wanted that, but I, I didn't in my head think it was going to be a possibility for me to justify bringing in a ton of subcontractors and having this whole roster of clients. So I ended up naming it like Jacqueline Services, right? Um, within that same year, I think bef- by the end of the year, maybe going into 2021, I changed it to Jacqueline Foster Paralegal Group LLC because we were, you know, we were operating as a team. I had some paralegals with my clients. And then as we really went full force into the agency model, I felt I kept my name for a while, the group, um, but I also wanted to start branding around recruiting um, and overall staffing. So we also do like employer branding. We do uh, team management consulting, team development consulting in the legal sector. So I wanted to give it more of a broad uh, name to encompass all of those services. And then I named it Dell Trust, which a lot of people ask me, what, what does that mean? Uh, First of all, I'm afraid of flying. This is so silly. I'm terrified of flying and the only airline I will fly is Delta. Uh, So that always stood out in my head as like a really trustworthy name and and something impactful. I just liked how it flew off my tongue, Delta. Um, And then I also wanted to incorporate that trust word in there. So I went Del Trust, which could also be deciphered as Delegate Trust or um, Delivering Trust. Uh, didn't realize though that attorneys would take it so literal and think that I'm a Delaware trust company. I should have had that on my radar. So marketing has been a little bit more challenging in that sense. Um, so whatever you choose to pick your name, like you don't have to pick it for what you are right now. You have to pick it for what you hope your business is going to become down the road. Um, so if you're hoping to do that agency model, you want might want to keep a more generic name. Um, you could, you could put your name in there. There's, there's no big deal with that. Um, but Oh, I don't know what ATL is, American Airlines. I, th- I think I liked them too. I, I just, sorry, I get I get squirrely, but that Delta was always my thing. Um, so pick for what you want it to become. You can, um, you can make it a generic name. You can make it a creative name. You can put your name in there. Like I actually toyed with Foster, um, Jacqueline Foster Co. Company, Jacqueline, just Jacqueline Foster LLC. Like I toyed with those things. But also my long-term goal with the business is to develop it in a, in a sense where I'm out of it. And I don't mean out of it, um, out of it, but that my business is, is self-sufficient and it doesn't rely on my constant involvement to operate. Um, so I, I didn't want people to get so attached to my name. So a lot to think about with your name. You can just go with your last name, you know, Smith Paralegal Services. You can pick a state like Florida paralegal services, something like that. Obviously, you need to check with trademarks and check with your state uh, LLC or your state business like uh, business registrations and make sure that you're not um, using a name that's already been there. The next thing I did was I after I established my LLC, I got some insurance. I do have a referral for you if you're interested in insurance. I don't make a commission off of it. I just love my insurance guy so much. There's a big like. Uh, 
I would say, debate on if a paralegal needs to carry insurance because the idea is that we're operating under the attorney's malpractice insurance. However, I, I, I think that protects you from the client, um, but I'm not convinced that it would protect you from any breach of contract that you have with the actual attorney as an LLC, as a separate entity. I'm not an insurance specialist. My insurance agent said it would be a wise idea. I carry professional liability insurance. When I first got it, it cost me $30 a month for a million dollar coverage. Um, it goes up based on your revenues so basically based on your risk. And then I do carry data breach as well separately um, that covers you know the data breach section of it. So that was my personal choice. Um, I wanted to, plus I felt that it, it gave another sense of credibility to my attorneys uh, working with me as a company that I'm carrying my own liability insurance, that I take our relationship seriously and that I'm putting safeguards in place for both of us. LLC, uh, I did file one with the Wisconsin Department of Revenue, and I am not qualified because I am not an attorney to give you any legal advice. So this is not legal advice. This is just why I chose to establish an LLC. From 2018 to 2020, I just operated as a sole proprietor. I didn't have the LLC established. I just did the, the sole proprietorship for my taxes. I decided to file the LLC First and foremost, for the credibility and the, the uh, like, this is real. I actually have a business. Um, but then the other reason was obviously to protect my own assets in case something should happen and then just the different protections an LLC gives a person. So again, consult with your attorney on whether or not it's appropriate for you to file an LLC, talk with your tax uh, advisor on all of those things, and then talk with an insurance agent to make sure you're, you're choosing the right Thing. You know what, guys, I'm going to take off my thing because I just see my uh, service is going out a little bit. How does your insurance work with more than one firm, if you don't mind me asking? It covers all of my clients. So they have a copy of my, it covers like all of my professional services for all of my clients, if that makes sense. So they have a copy of my independent contractor agreement, um, which I will talk about next on, on how to get something like that drawn up. If they have a copy of that, they know my revenues, they kind of keep track of like my highest pay revenue client each month and how much that client paid out. And then they adjust my rate based on that. So it does, it's, I don't have to get insurance per attorney. It covers my whole business operations um, as I have laid them out for the, for the insurance company. Um, so there's that. So yeah, I, I think I just had a, a thought in my head. On, I lost track. Can somebody remind me what I was just about to say? Because I don't have it in my notes on my uh, going down the list. Um, oh, the independent contractor agreement. So I used Rocket, uh, Rocket Lawyer. One of those template drafting services, I actually signed up, and this was back in 2020. I signed up for a free trial. I put in all my information, and it spit me out this independent contractor agreement that I use. I'm not giving you legal advice to go do that. I know it's best to have an attorney draft one for you, but that's what I did with my limited resources. I just had that, and I didn't even end up paying for the trial. I canceled the trial after I got, I, I drafted both an independent contractor agreement, and then I used it again for my subcontractor agreements. So I have my service agreement with my clients and then my subcontractor agreements with my subcontractors. Um, after that, I did have an attorney review it about a year later. He made some minor tweaks to it. And then since then I've had it totally redone to just simplify it a little bit um, and to ch just change up some of, my, some of my billing and those types of things. Um, so, that's that. That's what I carry as carried as far as everything I needed when I went and sat down on March 23rd, 2020 and started my business. Those are kind of the steps I took to naming the business, establishing the LLC, getting that insurance in place and all the above. So getting that first client before we, let me read this first before I change. Does a non-disclosure with each client kind of help to protect you professionally too? Um, I, I don't think I'm qualified to answer that specifically. I, I have had attorneys have us sign uh, confidentiality agreements with their firm beyond what we have in our language. I usually leave it up to the attorney on how much further they want to protect themselves on our liability end. Um, so I don't have a non-disclosure in there. I have confidentiality. I have, um, you know, work product ownership rights, data breach. Obviously, I have the data breach in there and those types of things. Uh, but I don't do a specific non-disclosure. 
So before we start talking about, thank you for the questions, by the way. Before we start talking about getting that first client, I want to back up a little bit and talk about setting your ideal client. And I promise this is important. Um, sorry, give me one second. I'm just trying to make sure that this is all working. Could everybody hear me and see me okay? I hope. <laughs> um, so I, the identifying your ideal client, and maybe I'm building up anticipation because I'm sure everybody... I know I was like, they want the secret sauce. What is it going to be that's going to get me five clients overnight that I need to quit my full-time job? It's not that simple because it requires a little bit more strategy around your marketing, around your approach, around your client acquisition efforts um, to first identify that ideal client. Because we need to make sure that all of the efforts going forward are very much directed towards who you actually want to work with. First and foremost, you guys all have LinkedIn. Make sure your LinkedIn account is totally optimized. I actually have a 30-day LinkedIn challenge in the Paralegal Mastery Lounge. You can buy it as a separate product or it's right away available to you at no additional cost when you sign up for the, um, the Paralegal Mastery Lounge. So it's a better bang for your buck if you just sign up for the lounge because um, it's the same cost, but you're getting so much more in the lounge that month, even if you just did the month and decided it wasn't for you. But it's a 30-day LinkedIn challenge to not only optimize your profile, create a specific heading, head, header, um, so that when you're connecting with, with potential clients out there, they know who you are, they know what you do. Um, then it also talks about within LinkedIn to start publishing consistently um, and giving you prompts for every day from day 18 uh, to 28, I think it is. To, to publish consistently and create that routine and that rhythm, and then also be connecting with other, or engaging with other people's posts so that you're staying relevant in LinkedIn's algorithm and they're putting your stuff in front of the people that you're engaging with, if that makes sense. So right away tip, when you go into LinkedIn and you start connecting with who your ideal clients are gonna be, make sure you're connecting with just those people. Don't let anybody and everybody into your group, obvious, or into your space of LinkedIn. For instance, like, you know, um, if there's somebody like selling Bitcoin or a real estate agent or um, something of that nature or, or somebody in a totally different field, like the medical field, um, don't let those people through because it confuses LinkedIn on who you actually want seeing your stuff, who you actually want uh, to follow you, who you want to be in front of you. So target your audience around that ideal client. You know, if it's Florida probate attorneys, connect with Florida probate attorneys, connect with Florida probate paralegals, uh, connect with Florida law firm marketing agencies or just marketing agencies in general, other people that might have your ideal clients already in their network or are already working with them and that might be a referral source for you, really start identifying who your ideal client is so that you can start connecting with those people. Before you start marketing yourself, before you go and get that first client, make sure you're setting your prices and establishing your services offering. Going back to that business establishment, are you gonna go solo? Are you gonna develop a team? Or are you gonna develop an agency? With the team model, you're gonna to wanna to get a little bit more narrow and a la carte with your services because it's not gonna be possible for an entire team to get, in my opinion anyway, because we've tried that, to get into the nitty gritty of every single matter in a client's, or in a, a law firm's client list, right? We can't manage 40 different clients as a team, unless we build a big, big, big team and structure it around there. Identify the services. For instance, if you're in personal injury, demand packages, um, medical summaries, medical record retrieval, those individual packages so that the, the attorney can give you and your team exactly what you need to perform the work and then you can have a process and a procedure behind you to get that work done and push it back to the client. Differently on the solo side, if you wanted to just integrate into the firm as a full-blown paralegal, you know, you're managing the docket, you're watching the case flow, you're seeing the filings come in, you're working ahead and independently, you're getting motions drafted, you're into the facts of each case is essentially what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, and you deeply understand the file, um, you can, it's a little bit more achievable as a solo. Um, so just make sure that when you're structuring your services, you're keeping that business model in mind. 
Um, if I would have done, and I truthfully probably would have loved if I done the team model correctly, I would have established it to be a little bit more singular. You know, we, we draft family law petitions. Here's our sheet. These are the things we need to know, and we'll bust that document right out. Um, things of that nature, but don't have us go into your file and try to gather all this doc, all these documents, figure out when the hearing date is. Like, that's got to be on the attorney to get you the information. So that's just something to think about as you're establishing your services. You don't have to have a website right away. I do recommend it, but one way or the other, have a services sheet in front of you so that when you're talking with your potential clients, you're staying consistent in your offerings. And I try to avoid being a yes man, even if you feel like you're not gonna get a client because you're not accommodating to their specific needs. Stay as true as possible to your business model. Setting your prices, um, I'm I not not many people like to talk about prices because they think it's like, well, I'm giving you the the secret uh, insider. It's there's no no uh, secret to it. Price the reality of it though, freelance paralegal prices in the market right now are ranging from thirty dollars, twenty dollars an hour, all the way up to a hundred and fifty an hour. It just depends on your specialty. It depends on the law firm you're approaching. You know, are you going for a big, big corporate firm or are you going for a solo attorney that practices personal injury in Florida and you are his only paralegal support, right? So what can that attorney afford? What are you really going for? I price my services at 52 an hour for my paralegals. Um, we do start giving discounts the more they utilize the paralegal. The paralegal still makes the same amount of money that we've agreed upon, but as the uh, attorney is committing to more and more hours each week, they're getting a discount. I also require minimum hours, and I highly, highly recommend you do that as soon as possible when you start advertising, especially if you're trying to merge from a in-house, like you're an employee and you're trying to break free into the full-time freelancing, minimum hours are going to be your best friend in gauging when it's the right time to make that move. So we offer a minimum package of 20 hours per month. That's the lowest we'll go to hire an attorney or have an attorney work for us. That being said, when I first started, I did take some project work. I did not enforce minimums. It was more as I started to bring on other people and needed more predictability. Um, and even needed more predictability for myself that I started requiring minimum packages. That also makes it a lot sim more simple for you to pre-bill and avoid any um, possible uh, billing discrepancies or them not paying your bill. You are able to do something like that. So give me one second. I'm getting dry. <laughs> uh, let me know if you have any questions, if I'm talking too fast, if you need me. I'm just trying to cram all this information into an hour for you guys. So let me know what questions you have and if I need to slow down or retouch on a topic. Okay. Um, so set those prices. You know, I think that if you're doing more admin support, uh, I, I, uh, Contrary to popular opinion out there, I do believe entry-level paralegals or somebody with one year of law firm experience still can freelance. Um, you might just be offering more administrative support, e-filing, uh, calendaring, deposition scheduling, scheduling, you know, template drafting, like I can bust out a subpoena or I can create a, a notice of deposition, simple, simple documents, a certificate of rep. We get a lot of attorneys that need that support. They really do. Um, so in those senses, you know, we charge 42 an hour for those admin uh, roles, 52 for the paralegal. But if they're having a paralegal do both admin and, and paralegal work, they get the $52 an hour rate. Uh, for both. So you can structure the, it that way as well. Uh, just decide, you know, really think about it. You're all paralegals, you're in the legal industry, you know what attorneys are billing you for, um, and make a determination. You know, business owners like to feel like they have about a 40% profit margin. So don't get too crazy and say, well, you, I know you're billing me out at 125, I'm going to charge you 100. You know, you really got to... <clears throat> excuse me, you really have to be also thinking from their side of view and because the, you're trying to get them as clients. So make it make sense for them. You know, $50 versus their 125 is still giving them a good profit margin um, and it's a little less risk. Even at that $70 mark, you're, you're getting a little bit closer. So again, keep your practice area in mind. Keep your location in mind. I mean, somebody in New York, New York is going to charge more as an attorney than somebody in Phillips, Wisconsin, where I was making $15 an hour as a paralegal. So, and I was billed out at, I think, 70, something like that. 
So just keep all that in mind as you're setting those prices. Thanks, Mary. I'm, I'm glad this is good information for you. So now that you've kind of figured out your business model, you're identifying who you want to work with. Is it a solo? Is it a big firm? Is it a mid-sized firm, etc.? Like what practice area? What's their unique challenges? What location? What's the unique challenges in those locations? And you've really got clear on that ideal client. You can start getting that first client. So I got my very first client on LinkedIn. Now, does this happen every single time where within one week of you starting to post that you're a freelance paralegal, you sign your first client? Not necessarily, but it happened for me and it happened for a lot of my uh, students in my freelance paralegal accelerator two years ago. You can read the testimonials. Like I got, I started implementing the this, this, and this, and I got, I just, a client fell in my lap. You gotta start getting yourself out there and being very open to what you're doing and, and not be ashamed or, or embarrassed or shy or feel like you have imposter syndrome. Start getting out there on LinkedIn um, as as that that's what you're doing. And the thing to keep in mind is uh, most of my business came from LinkedIn, but it wasn't direct attorney to me. Um, a few times I've had a couple, I've, I've gained a few clients here and there throughout the years. Um, directly from LinkedIn, they saw a post, they scheduled a, a discovery call. It's been through the other, I call strategic alliances that I've made through LinkedIn that have sent me referrals. So we do have like, we have a referral, um, affiliate referral program now where we compensate for referrals. But be, even before that, people were sending people my way, uh, marketing uh, experts, legal marketing people, uh, other recruiters that didn't do the 1099 stuff and they'd have a client that you know wasn't really quite ready for that full-time employee so they'd refer them to me uh, to take care of their 1099 stuff got a ton of business that way with other recruiters um another one is anybody in legal tech any you know you think of companies that do process service any connecting the dots to other types of professionals in the industry and how they're already with your ideal clients do you use the client's firm specific case management? Oh, I love these questions because that's coming up too. I'm definitely gonna, gonna talk about system softwares uh, used within the relationship. So get your LinkedIn uh, presence really strong. Make sure you're posting consistently. You don't have to post every single day of the week, but whatever you do, make sure it's consistent. We're gonna talk about sales cycle in the marketing portion of it, of this, this conversation. Um, but, and it's not enough to just publish, you know, here's an article give good feedback with it. Uh, even better if you can create your own original content, your own thoughts in the form of a blog or just a post or an infographic, something of the nature to establish you as an industry expert in what you're doing. And I wanna really quick mention, because I think people get really shy about the word industry expert, understand that you sitting right here right now are an expert in something. You don't need to publish blogs on the you know, the like legal theory or defense theory, we need to be focusing our expertise on the paralegal role. And I know paralegals operate like attorneys. I know they do. But think beyond that, you know, talking about how paralegals can increase efficiency within a firm, talking about how freelance paralegals specifically can save the firm money, get the quality support that they need, the senior level experience, um, as needed hours, Focus your expertise content on the problem you're solving for that firm. So make sure going back to your ideal client, what unique problems does that ideal client have? Now structure your marketing around solving those problems. So I uh, just wanted to point that out. So because I remember I used to be like, I can't, I mean, I'm too shy to write an article on like defense theory when I'm publishing to a bunch of attorneys. They're not going to read it. Like they're attorneys. I'm not. And you know how attorneys can be sometimes. So I didn't uh, want to do any of that until I realized what my expertise was supposed to be in um, as far as it related to my marketing and getting known as that industry expert or that person, that go-to person. Another thing you can do is reach out to former bosses, colleagues, just very humbly let them know what you're doing. Uh, maybe firms in the area, do not be shy to reach out to them that are local. I do wanna caution you against too much cold pitching wherein you're just blasting uh, a bunch of LinkedIn messages to anybody and everybody uh, pitching your services. But I think it's more than appropriate to let like local in the area, in the, the county and in, in some the specific 
what your experience and to just say, just wanted to let you know I'm embarking on a new career journey. I'm offering freelance paralegal services. Wanted you to know this in case you should ever need my support. You know where to find me. Just very humble uh, like that. Don't get into specifics, crazies, your hourly rate. Like save that for the phone call. Um, and so I, I was just getting ahead of myself. So that was my, I did get, he was a former boss and he's actually still a client of mine. Um, I very, I know that's the only paralegal work I do anymore is very light criminal work, um, as a, almost like a favor to my former boss. But I did get a client that way, if you will, uh, to keep adding to my, to my success as our business was expanding and get those testimonials. So I offer project work. Um, in the beginning to get those testimonials to put on your website, to showcase on your LinkedIn, uh, to just create more credibility, more trustworthiness. Um, so I got it that way. The, the, the third way, the third client I got was a referral from one of those other clients. And so once you start getting your traction, you're, you're going to be amazed at how quickly you start getting more and more and more referrals. Um, so really focusing specifically on landing those, that first client that is the biggest thing. And doing it through consistency on LinkedIn, you can start exploring other platforms, but I will tell you, I Instagram might be my second like favorite, but it, it's just a different marketing area. And then Facebook is my least. I have never gotten a client from Facebook, maybe once. I actually got a client from Twitter once, which was wild because I posted like three times on there. Uh, actually, I don't think he was a client, but he did find me on Twitter. I don't think he ended up signing. So Make sure you're focusing on one platform. LinkedIn is the best for professional networking. Try really hard to not focus so much on selling, selling, selling yourself when you post. Make sure you're giving uh, value to your audience, value to your connections, um, publishing, sharing articles, industry uh, trends, those types of things. You can also obviously create infographics, talk about your services as it relates to the solutions you're providing and the benefits that they get to experience as a result. But try to give a good mix in there. Again, my LinkedIn challenge, it's it I'm not trying to brag about it, but I'm so proud of it. <laughs> I worked so hard on it and I'm like, wow, I actually know more about LinkedIn than I thought I did. Uh, Cause I ended, ended up being like 48 plus pages long and very, very, very easy to follow and just get through the 30 days to start you with a really strong LinkedIn uh, presence. <clears throat> so also, and this is kind of backing up. You can you can work on these things. I just wanted to touch on the business establishment, finding that ideal client, setting those services and prices and getting that first client because those are, you know, I know the most pressing things and you have to have that ideal client and, and align your business model around that ideal client and those prices and the services all have to connect before you start going out there and, and going crazy with uh, trying to get clients. Because I really want to make sure you guys are taking my advice and bringing in clients that you really want that are going to fit with your long-term goal. But some other things to think about is branding. Um, you want to make sure your brand is staying consistent, mainly because you want a, a sense of a, a feeling when people are seeing your your stuff, you know, whether you're trying to portray trust, maybe you're like really big litigator and you want to portray power and wealth and like, we got this, you know, the purples, the golds, the types of words you're using, um, the images you're choosing, the more you can, and brands take time. So just start them now. Don't, Danielle, thank you. I am really bad about apologizing forever. It's also the Minnesota. I'm originally from Minnesota. It's Minnesota in me of like just saying sorry for I'm, oh, it's raining outside. I'm sorry. You know, like, why is that my fault? Um, but anyway, brands take time. I'm still trying to develop mine. I'm not a branding expert, but branding takes time and consistency and, and thought and creating a brand around everything you're trying to put out there and you what what do you want people to feel when working with you or working with your company what do you want to come to mind when they read your posts um so really get clear on that there's brand color g's or ugh. brand color psychologies the words the things that you choose to use and cre start creating like your brand uh, portfolio, if you will. I used like uh, mood boards. I've used vision boards. I've used working with different colors. I've kind of like with the paralegal mastery lounge landed on like black and pink. And I, you know, I, I think it's a mixture of like 
bold and feminine for me because, you know, I'm kind of like a first generation and entrepreneur in my family. So that really was something I wanted to push out there. Um, but I'm still working on the brand at the Paralegal Mastery Lounge. It does not come overnight and they take a long time to really establish, but make sure you're focusing on it from day one, play with it, work with it, adjust your website around it. All of those things, create that palette, get that consistency. Marketing. Okay, I think I got time to talk because I know I really want to touch on systems and softwares. But the marketing, I, the one thing I want to pull out, I have a, in my freelance paralegal accelerator course, it was a two hour course on marketing. Just that portion was two hours. So I'm going to try to bring out the most important component to marketing, in my opinion and my experience, marketing long term, right? So we're not just marketing for the client we want to get today. There's something called a sales cycle, and I don't have it in front of me, but if I can recall it, it's about eight cycles long. A sales cycle is where a potential client enters your marketing cycle or your marketing, your marketing, it, they enter your marketing, whether they're connected with you or they start seeing your posts or they were referred uh, to you and now they're following you. That is the first, wherever they're entering is in, they're at a different part in the sales cycle. So you might have somebody that enters your sales cycle with absolutely zero need, with absolutely zero funding to even consider, but the, they're going to stay in your sales cycle and go through the stages of business ownership to having no need to considering a need, having a need to playing with the numbers to I'm wanting more information to now I'm going to schedule, uh, now I'm actually going to hire you, right? So there's eight cycles. And the reason why I like to bring this up is because you don't know where a potential client is going to enter your sales cycle. They could enter the sales cycle already with a need. So they're already at step five and they're going to push out into step eight really quickly. My first client on LinkedIn, he had an immediate need. He saw me, he liked my marketing, he called me, we had a discovery call and bam, he was my first client. I've had other people call me or schedule with me because they're considering and they just want to start gathering their options. They had a discovery call with me six months ago and then all of a sudden they pop up in my email again, they're ready now, right? So you have to keep clients, potential clients engaged as they're moving along that sales cycle. Um, so this goes back to the consistency on LinkedIn, the consistency with branding. Overnight successes did not happen overnight. We all know that. Um, I will say though, just for motivation, we experience very quick success. And I know other people in my, uh, my members or my other students from prior courses also experience pretty quick results. We hit our first, uh, I think first year we did, we were under six figures. Obviously we started in March. But our first full fiscal year, we were in the six-figure mark and then, you know, jumped in our third year to, to 500000 So it does happen quicker than you think, but it does take time to start building up that pipeline. So don't feel defeated and keep remembering every time you sit down, you're like, I don't know why I'm publishing this stuff. I don't get any engagement or I don't know why I'm publishing this stuff. It doesn't result in discovery calls or it hasn't resulted in a client yet. It will. Just stay consistent because remember who you're writing to are stuck somewhere in your sales cycle. And that's from forces outside of your control, financial forces. How is their, how is their business doing? Are they working with a marketing agency suddenly and they got a ton of new clients? They might move into to the ready phase really fast. So make sure you're staying relevant even during slow periods. Our business was challenged greatly from January of this year into February and talking with my other uh, colleagues and my other people I know that are in the business similar to what I'm in, uh, all experienced a little bit of a slowdown period. I didn't stop marketing. I didn't stop connecting. I didn't stop engaging with prior clients. I wanted to stay relevant even during the slow periods, even when the client's not ready. Um, so that's kind of my tidbit on marketing. If you, I know some people, I, there's always more questions on marketing. And again, that's why I justified a two hour uh, course on it or a two hour webinar within my course. Um, but that's, that's the most important thing to remember with marketing. In my opinion, as you're starting on this journey to just make sure you're really not giving up, you're staying consistent. Um, guys, we're getting kind of close to the end. So if you have questions, why don't you start pushing them through? 
What practice areas typically need support that isn't already on staff? Let me answer that question at the end because that's a great question and I'm excited to answer it, but I want to make sure I'm touching on these two things and then we're going to move into these questions. So please keep like flooding me with questions and I will answer them all. Um, systems and software is used in the relationship. So I got this question, what types of, uh, you know, softwares uh, are you client firm specific? So that's going to, again, depend on your business model. If you're a solo and you're working directly with the attorney, not just on project base, but you're like in their stuff, like you're operating as a paralegal for them, truly like right hand man paralegal, I would recommend getting into their systems. I would not try to integrate them into like your OneDrive or your own Clio or anything like that because you wanna make delegation as easy as possible. Whatever business model you're going through, make delegation as easy as possible for them or they're going to fall off of your, uh, off of the relationship. If it be, requires them to upload you know, all the discovery, if it requires them to send all these things to you that takes a lot of time, they're just gonna realize the relationship isn't working for them. So I always recommend they establish a firm, like a law firm email address with you, you know, Casey at uh, smithfirm.com, right? And then use that email to then put you into their systems. So I've had firms do it that way where they're like, here's your Clio access here. You know, you have access to all my matters. Here's your email. Here's your access to our calendar. They just get them into the systems that they have. I've also had firms want to use remote desktop software. So I'm actually like Citrix is one I'm very familiar. I think Google has one. Um, I'm, we, I haven't seen a law firm do that. Even as a subcontractor, I would remote into their firm. I loved that. I absolutely loved that because um, it just kept everything off of my computer. I was able to just log into one of their computers and access their stuff. So I don't think it's very expensive to set up. You know, you might want to have a tech person like on your side just to for questions like that to say like hey can you help me and help my firm a lot of firms do already have tech people um, on hand or a contact that they use but really i like to let in the solo model i do like to let the attorney be the driver now my first client i did more project-based work so like here's an adoption an adult adoption i need you to do here's a motion for compassionate release in the eastern district of california i just need you to draft that um, and it was like a brand, you know, to get all the information. And then he, so he just shared the things that I needed in our own Google Drive. And then I would send, you know, put the drafts back into the Google Drive for him. But he wasn't integrating me into his entire practice, right? He was just using me for project work. So that will definitely work if you're just doing project work as a solo. The team model, you have to have, you have to have, again, going back to those services, identifying these like very niche, like, these singular services we offer, for instance, like an estate plan that we will draft the will, the POA, all the ancillaries, you know, et cetera, or we'll draft a trust. This is the software we use to draft it, or these are the templates we work off of, or we require one of your templates. Like you will have to make a decision and keep it consistent so that your team flow can go very seamless. Um, it would be very difficult for you as a team model. Think, don't just think now, don't just think I have one client, three clients. Think that you grow this business to having 50 clients, 100 clients. How could you possibly, it would be so chaotic to try to adjust your team for every client's unique preferences, right? So you could have, you know, I've seen companies do like, here's a design sheet for, you know, say we're drafting a petition for fam family law. Here's a sample of what we like done. These are kind of the specifics. Uh, this is our template. We want kind of it to look like this at the end of it. They're required to give you that. You have a sheet, like we need this sheet entirely filled out. Drafting will not begin until we have all the information required, mainly because you know how clients can be or they change something on you and you know you can start charging for edits, redrafts um, that are out of your control, like not a mistake you made, things of that nature. So looking at the softwares on that, I would really recommend you kind of figure that out internally on how you wanna do the processes. Um, I've used multitudes of case management softwares. My, f or excuse me, project management softwares. I've also used case management softwares. I do like Clio. I, I like Clio. I like the user simplicity of it. Um, however, I'm big on the project management softwares and can, being able to 
alter them and convert them for what I need. So monday.com is one of my favorites. The automations in there are just spectacular. Maybe I'll do a whole webinar on that at some point just because monday.com is really fun and really cool. I've seen people use Trello boards uh, with you know the template uh, subtasks and getting each thing through the, the process of completion. Um, I've seen people use Asana. There's... Um, I, I like you have tried them all, so I, I draw blanks. Um, another thing you'll probably need, and when you're first starting out, you don't need to really worry about um, like QuickBooks. And, and of course, if you can afford it, if you want to use it, use it. it makes things a lot easier come tax time um, or, you know, another platform. But I and you could I just recorded my time like on a spreadsheet when I was by myself. And then I'd invoice the client through like PayPal or something like that. Um, now I do all QuickBooks. My team records, or not my team, my, my subcontractors and my team that work internally for Dell Trust, but my team will do, and my subcontractors record through a platform called Hubstaff. Hubstaff sends automatic time updates to the clients. So every week they know how much time has been recorded. And then I'm able to just go in, pull their time out and pay them. So they don't have to sit there and invoice me and, and do all this junk. Um, so I do use QuickBooks now. But you can make it very simple. You can use free time tracking systems. You can use a spreadsheet. You can invoice through PayPal. You don't have to get crazy. That Those little details will work their way out as you get bigger. Excuse me, I shouldn't say bigger, but busier and more clients to manage. Okay, I gotta, I'll answer that question in one second. Um, so last thing I want to touch on is the discovery call. Um, so make sure when you do get that client, and I, I don't want to leave too little time for, for questions, so I'm going to just briefly run on this. I want to get you a little bit prepped for when you do start attracting these clients, like, okay, what do I do with them now? Make sure you have your onboarding experience kind of ready, you know, with the contract. I do recommend using like a DocuSign or I use Dubsado or something of that nature to get e-signatures. The reason I say that is you're going to have a higher likelihood of them like quick signing it than like it might take a week or two for them to print it or to download the PDF if they have a system like that. I don't want them to... Uh, feel like signing with you is an extra step in their busy day or if, you know, if they're already overwhelmed with work. So a lot of those e-signature platforms work the greatest, in my opinion, for that. But during that discovery call, uh, make sure that you have in front of you, because you're going to be a little bit nervous in the, in the start. Write out your process, how you're onboarding this client into working with you, how you plan to use the, you know, their softwares or discuss what they prefer. Just get that, that flow ready. But before you get into that, let them talk. You want them, my, I have a very high conversion rate on my sales calls and I, the number one thing I do is I listen more than I talk because I want the client to do the work for me. I want them to, by the end of that call, realize how incredibly pressing their problem is, their staffing shortages. Like I literally become a, honestly, like a counselor that's just listening to them vent about not having personal time or life. Like I have to take my computer to my son's graduation and I can't take a vacation and I want to hear these things. I want them to say it so much that by the end of the discovery call, they're like, yeah, you know what? This is a no brainer. I need the help. This is great. This is going to be phenomenal. And typically then they'll sign uh, within an hour of me sending the contract. So really make sure you're allowing, you're asking them probing, probing questions to, to get into their unique problems. Hopefully they're at your ideal client. You've established what types of problems they're experiencing in their firm and really try to then once you let them talk, let them get through that and you feel like they've had a good chance to, to express their, their issues, talk about their business, talk about their personal um, struggles as a result be taking notes and then like hit on every little pain point they mentioned in that call. So then it's like, wow, you're like solving every problem I've ever had. <laughs> so really make sure on that discovery call, you're focusing heavily on letting them talk, do the talking, let them do the most work. Okay, so I'm going to get to the questions. So what practice areas typically need support that isn't already on staff? All of them. Danielle, all of them. Uh, we do every practice area. So personal injury, civil litigation, commercial litigation, family law, um, probate, estate planning. Criminal law, I will say, has been like kind of the least amount of clients that I've had. And I don't think it's for a lack of work, but I think it's just the price point. 
criminal defense attorneys typically don't make as much historically as, you know, say a litigation firm. Um, you know, so, um, sorry, it's again, I squirrel, I got to answer this question first. So the, uh, criminal law, but I do have a criminal attorney that works, you know, with one of my, one of my firms, my first client did some criminal work, my current, you know, my former boss, my now friend that I still help out with is criminal. So criminal is still there. Um, and just really focus on what types of services you provide within that criminal and make it really, really, really specific to that. Um, and make sure you're structuring your services and your prices around that. But every practice area, I will say, trademark, corporate, uh, those types of things, anything really like specific can command a higher rate. Um, trademark paralegals are so hard to come by, especially the ones that have tons of experience, not just in uh, prosecution, but the litigation side of things, corporate, very hard to find good corporate paralegals that are open to freelance work or even honestly employee work. So those are kind of the more the major areas, but I would say every practice area, every state, you're gonna have um, a good market to work with. Um, and I'm gonna answer this one too, Danielle, just cause it's kind of just what I just talked to about, do you go into a discovery call with a pain point already prepped? Yes, uh, I should say no. I mean, I already kind of know like they're gonna have a certain pain point that I'm gonna be able to speak on because they're obviously they're calling me, they need support. Like that's just gonna be a pain point in a given. Um, but it's really then peeling the onion and being like, well, why are you interested in contract services? Or like they might talk about their ebbs and flows. You know, I have so high of ebbs and flows. You can then talk about, I'm very flexible. You're able to sideline me for a period of time. Like, you know, as you get your feet up, you could offer, I offer like two breaks on the minimums a year or something like that. You know what I'm kind of trying to say? So in my, um, and you can look just out of curiosity, like go to pretend, don't actually schedule one, but on my discovery call on my website scheduler, I just asked for like the law firm name, how many hours they're anticipating needing, um, their practice area, whether they need 1099 or W-2, uh, those types of things I just ask. I don't want to have them fill out this huge form and overwhelm them. Um, but then again, it's just, it's really peeling that onion with the firm like tucked. So I usually started like by saying, you know, why don't you talk to me a little bit about your firm? What's your current staff structure like? And, and we can go from there and they'll just start, <laughs> they'll just start. I mean, some of them are a little awkward and like socially awkward where it's like, I feel like I'm trying to get, you know, information out of a concrete block. Um, but most of them are pretty open to talking and venting about their struggles. So hope that answered that question. How much interaction do you have with in-house employees? Um, so how much interaction do you have with in-house employees? This is going to be my first. Um, it depends on the firm. We have a lot of solos that don't really have a ton of support. So, you know, they might be coordinating with like an office, like a secretary, somebody that just manages the office, like dailies that come in and out. Um, they might be supporting in, in the way of sending documents, uploading files, and things of that nature. I do have some firms where the paralegals primarily managing the um, uh, the the 1099 or that relationship, which honestly, a lot of the times I prefer as long as that paralegal is nice um, and pleasant to work with because we do get a lot faster response time. What issues do you experience completing jobs because of lack of cooperation with the client? That is definitely going to come up. That is one thing you're not going to avoid by going from infirm to freelance. Um, and the reason I say that is, is because attorneys are attorneys no matter what setting you put them in. So you can have like a requirement, you know, I need XYZ within 48 hours of your like a certain amount of deadline time because a lot of them are really good at telling you they need something but not giving you complete information. It's like, hey, I'm not going to make this deadline. I will say over communication on your part, part is key. Really great to establish like day, weekly or daily touch points with the firm, depending on how many hours they're using you. Say they're using you five hours a week. Why don't you get together for 15 minutes every Monday and just run through all of your assignments coming up, your due dates. Push with that attorney. I need due dates. Don't say I need due dates because I want to procrastinate everything, but say I need due dates because it's going to help me be able to identify what's most pressing pressing in your firm so that I'm, I'm keeping on track for, for your upcoming deadlines. So even if there's no deadline for a project, like say like the deadline is six months out, but it's like might as well draft this right now, still ask for a deadline. Always push the deadlines. And then as you know, each week you 
do a touch point with them, uh, whether that's an email touch point, a full phone call touch point, a Zoom touch point. Uh, you can look ahead at your deadlines prior to that meeting and make sure that you have everything in alignment for that. And yes, you can build them for that, in my opinion. Um, I think everything you do as a 1099 should be invoiced to the client, not just the work on that you're doing. Um, you know, obviously, if you're doing a team model or a flat fee, all that communication stuff is going to be structured into the fee. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, there there is times where if the client is just absolutely non-responsive, if it's like months go by, I sometimes I don't like to do this because I really like to be very accommodating to my clients, work with my clients as much as possible. I will start invoicing them for the minimum hours to kind of spark a fire under them to say like, hey, you really need to start sending me work and delegating. You're welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Any other questions I can answer? I got one more minute. I really, really appreciated everybody's attendance today. Please, please go check out the Paralegal Mastery Lounge. Um, I also have a podcast going, so I'm taking snips from everything I do. I'm actually going to put this on a podcast. Um, so taking snips of everything I can do, I do so that people can listen to it in a convenient way. The Paralegal Mastery Lounge is currently open for enrollment. It's a monthly membership. I do a ton. We, we cover, obviously, paralegal entrepreneurship. So everything we just went through here, we're going through in our formats per topic plus every month. So if you're really serious and, and or even not serious, but wanting to gather more information about doing this, make sure that you um, go check out the Paralegal Mastery Lounge. It's $19.99 a month. You get a really tight-knit community, private community. Um, you get the... I'd also do entrepreneurship webinars, career development for those that want to stay full time or maybe they just are really seeking the remote jobs, the highest paying jobs. Um, maybe they're also considering the business entre or the entrepreneurship side. So I have a whole section for that. We have personal development in there, all very organized so you're not overwhelmed. We're going to be bringing in industry experts every month to talk about different components to uh, both sides of it. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for coming. If a paralegal is on staff, what are they unable to perform that requires a contract paralegal? Um, I, if I'm understanding the question right, you're kind of asking, okay, if the attorney already has a paralegal, what are they not able to perform or do? A lot of the times the attorney doesn't have access to like senior level paralegals or paralegals with experience. So if they have a paralegal in their office, Typically, it's more like an administrative assistant, a legal admin, but they need help with like motion drafting. They need help with legal research. They need help with writing demand letters, with writing estate plans. Like the more um, substantial or substantive work that requires senior level or at least junior level. How do you determine billable time by task or by pleading? Um... I have my contractors bill for everything they do, regardless if the attorney can bill for it. That's just part of it. Um, that's the way we operate. I, I don't say, well, you know, the X, Y, Z for the document is the only thing we can, you know, we're going to bill you for. They bill for checking emails. They bill for the communication with them and the client. They bill for literally everything while they're uh, working for them. But we do, I do have them bill by the minute. Uh, we don't round up. We don't like go up to the hour as much. I mean, as much as possible, we avoid that. Uh, however, you know, if they if they're sitting in to come check emails and stuff like that, you know, that takes time. So they'll they'll round up a little bit on that, uh, just for their time of checking in to see if there's assignments, which is again a big thing on on communication. I do have some people that I know that just bill flat fees per project, and you certainly can do that. I just caution you to be very specific on what you're performing. Because I did that my first client. I way, oh my gosh, you guys would puke at how much I charged for, for this <laughs> huge motion to a, a federal district court. Like, huge motion. And I did it all. The attorney was kind of a baby. And I don't mean a baby. Like, he was brand new to being an attorney. He was a baby attorney. I did the whole thing. He made minor, minor edits. And I only charged him like 250 bucks for the whole thing. It was unbelievable. But the main thing I didn't realize was how much like, you know, the client communication piece will derail the whole project's timeline. Like I, I had to converse back and forth. The client wasn't giving me accurate information. I had to go back. I had to contact medical offices. I had to do all these things that I didn't think I would have to do. And I'm like, just be very careful. 
Bill, bill, bill. That's what we're there for. Yeah, attorneys bill too, right? I mean, it's like, I think people are so, oh, I'm not worthy. Yes, you are. The only thing attorney an attorney makes money on is their time. That is the exact same thing with a paralegal and you need to bill. I'm not saying like bang a file, you know, like how they say in the legal industry, like to go crazy and, and be over. I mean, you want to keep good relationships with your clients and be reasonable, um, but don't undersell your time. Do not undersell your time. Okay, I hope this is helpful. I hope some of you come and join the Paralegal Mastery Lounge. I'm excited to, to continue uh, bringing more webinars here as well, but I promise with the time and putting in the, the webinars, you'll get a lot more in-depth knowledge uh, by getting into the Paralegal Mastery Lounge. Right away, that business establishment is in there. I go through how to scale uh, the solo and the team and the agency, like how are we going to scale it? What are the pros and cons? How to really establish it from day one? It's like very comprehensive. And then next month, I'm not totally sure which one I'm going to be. I'm going to be recording it next week. So that will be known for the first of the first week of July when the new webinars come out. So uh, hop in there and join us. Otherwise, if you're not in our free group, the Paralegal Mastery Lounge, we have a private one and then a free one. You'll find it on Facebook. Come join us there too. So, uh, and follow me on Instagram. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining. I very much appreciate it. And message me directly if any other questions come up. Thank you.